Come join the conversation, the show that you've been wanting. Keep it real with no filter. Weekly we share discussions. WWSD interviewing creative guests, talking the creative process and sharing all the influences from TV and film. Emmy nominated and winning. Yeah, they coming through. Actors and comedians too. Directors and writers, we're more than a few. Masters of their craft. Yes, tune in. You gotta see this the podcast that you need. WWSD. Welcome to the WWSD Podcast. Weekly, we share discussions with interesting and creative people. We are sponsored by Collector's Maze. You can check them out at collectorsmaze.com for all things related to fandom. I'm your host, Josh, and as always, enjoy my buddy and co-host, Seamus. How's it going, Seamus? It's going great, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm very excited for tonight. Yeah, so tell us who we have on. Uh, tonight, we have a very, very special guest. We are joined by Marvel and DC artist, Scott Hanna. Scott has inked over 200 graphic novels, approximately 23,000 pages of graphic art from the top two publishers of the industry. He's also worked on one of my all-time favorite storylines, Annihilation Conquest. Such a huge Annihilation fan. Scott, it's a pleasure having you on the podcast. How are you doing? Great being here. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, well, thanks for being here. Yeah, no, we're super excited. Yeah. Can you give us a little bit of like background, like how you, how you got into art and comics? Fortunately, my mother is actually a phenomenal fine artist. She does portrait oh. paintings, landscapes. When I was a kid, she used to specialize in oil painting, and she actually even taught classes in our home, oil painting classes. Oh, that's awesome. By the time I was 10, I started really started realizing that I wanted to be an artist. None of my siblings had any interest in art, but I just, I knew at that point. And coincidentally, about 10, I also discovered superhero comics. So it wasn't just art, but I also wanted to do something with it. Like, I love these superheroes. And you know, I did the typical kid thing of like, you know, tracing the outline of a character and trying to fill in the inside with the costumes and stuff. Mm-hmm. When I was 11, I actually took classes with my mom in oil painting. So even though I'm not known for it, I actually have been painting for longer than I've been inking. Oh, wow. So I love comics. I loved art. I studied it. I focused on it tremendously all the time growing up. Luckily, where I grew up in New Jersey, they had this wonderful Votech uh, school that had an illustration course. And coincidentally, it was near where the Kuberts grew up. So Adam and Andy Kubert also went to this Votech class. Actually, Andy was in the afternoon when I was in the morning class. So a whole bunch of people, actually, I think there's something at like 10 different comic book creators all went to the same Votech school. Oh, that's awesome. Which is pretty wild because it's just one township in, or one, actually the, the county of New Jersey it had all the best artists from the whole county. At the time, Joe Kubert actually tried to recruit me for his school because he saw my potential when I was a senior. I actually, I think I got the highest grades of anybody in the art class at that time. So Joe liked my stuff and he said, oh, I want to get you into the Joe Kubert school. And I actually said no, because at that point, I didn't think comics was a real job. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I still love comic books, but I didn't think that's how you could make a living, you know? So I actually, I went off to college and I majored in illustration and I was thinking I'm going to do like book covers or album covers, you know, back when we actually had LPs, you know, <laughs> beautiful artwork and stuff. Yep, yep. And so I, I went to this really good school, Pratt Institute in New York City, which also New York, if you want to be an artist, you used to have to go to New York because that's where all the <laughs> publishers were, right? Mm-hmm. Coincidentally, that's where Marvel and DC were, but I found that out later. Uh, by the way, so I got to Pratt and turns out one of my first roommates was a major comic book fan. 
So I was a comic book fan. He was a comic book fan. And then we started getting this whole circle of friends that were all really into comics. But the weird thing is none of our teachers like comics at all. So all the teachers were like, no, comics are garbage. They're not real art. But it turns out that every single one of the best artists in the years I was at Pratt were all into comics. And actually a whole bunch of them turned professionals like I did. So uh, some of them turned into editors, some turned into graphic novel artists, fine art, you know, everything. But all of us were into comics. So by the end of four years, we'd actually transformed all the teachers started respecting comics by the time we got out of school. And actually some of us were already working in the industry for like heavy metal and other publishers, but I still was holding off on comics and thinking I was going into general illustration. So I, I went out into the real world and I realized that, man, it sucks to just like schlep your portfolio around from publisher to publisher. And I wasn't having any fun at it. And I was like, this isn't what art's supposed to be about. So luckily, some of my buddies from college that had gotten into comics were like, hey, Scott, you know, we actually know somebody who's work, uh, an inker in comics that needs a helper. And I was like, okay, I'll actually work with him for a little while, learn some of the ins and outs of comic art as opposed to general illustration, see how it works. I worked for this guy for a couple of months. And then literally while I was working for him, he said, hey, Scott, I'm doing a small convention in New York City. You set up right next to me. And I'm just the assistant. I don't get any credit. I had, My name wasn't on anything, but I could draw. I'd already graduated from art school. So I go to this convention. So I'm drawing away. Fans are coming up to me and saying, hey, could you draw whatever characters? And I would draw them, no problem, because I read comics like crazy. And luckily, the table to the left of me was a small independent publisher. And they're watching me the whole day and they're like, man, your stuff is really good. How'd you like to work for us? I'm like, cool, great. <laughs> so that's how I got into comics. I literally, I didn't, I didn't go to any publishers. I just like sat down, drew, and somebody came to me. And for me, actually, at that time, I was actually still pretty shy and quiet. It was hard for me to sell myself, but doing the work, no problem. Yeah, the art sold itself. Right. So I, so I worked for a small publisher, Eternity Comics. Several other big name guys actually also started at that company. So I worked for them for about a year or so, then brought that stuff to Marvel in D.C. And I actually brought this stuff back to D.C. first. I'll tell you why. And there's a special story about that later on. Okay. But D.C. immediately gave me work. Basically, they said, okay, we're going to give you a cover to try out on. It was a New Gods cover. They liked that. And then they gave me work right away. And I've been working nonstop ever since. Because of what I had done in illustration, generally, I was like, you know, I'll keep doing comics as long as it's fun. When it stops being fun, <laughs> I'll try to do some other kinds of art. And now, like, 34 years later, I'm still doing comic books. Do you think you'll ever not be fun doing comics? No. I, th I think comic books, <laughs> it, 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 keeps you, it keeps you young forever. I mean, in my in my mind, I'm a constant, like, 12 to 14-year-old my whole life, right? Because I draw <laughs> no, superheroes for a living. And, and it's like, what's the point of growing up? Growing up is boring, you know, but drawing superheroes. Is, and the cool thing is that what I do is always a challenge too. There's always something new, you know, a writer comes up with something new, a part, one of my art partners comes up with something new, it gives me a challenge, it pushes me and I like to get pushed. I like to do new things in new ways. And I, I don't ever want to be one of those guys that's like, I figured it out. I'm just going to do my system and then stop. I want to keep growing and getting better my whole career long. Are you able to like select what like work you want to work on now? Are you at that point in your career or they still have like, they come to you and like, hey, can you work on this? 
so, some things like, you know, when John was being asked to do, John Romero Jr. was being asked to come back on Spider-Man, he specifically asked for it. Oh, that's awesome. So the editors didn't ask for me. John <laughs> specifically said, I want to work with Scott Hanna because we had had a great working relationship. We understand each other. We encourage each other. We push each other to get better. So working with John is fantastic. So that's like a dream come true because when your partner asks for you in the first place, you know, it's a done deal, right? It's going to be great. Yeah. But uh, most of the time, because I'm such a workaholic, I kind of do this thing of I finished up one project. I have an opening. I just send a blanket email to like Marvel or DC and say, hey, I've got an opening. And I kind of take whatever comes in first. Okay. Now, some of those things might be just one issue here, one issue there. But sometimes I actually get a really cool project with people, again, who I've worked with before. I love working with new guys that I've never dealt with before because that gives me, again, a new challenge, a new visual look to take care of. But yeah, I don't I don't have the power and I don't think ever will to say, oh, I want to work on this. <laughs> Artists don't usually get that. I know, I know you're like, you're really big on like Spider-Man and Batman. You've done a lot of that work. Yeah. I mean, are you like usually to say, Hey, if you guys have an opening for Batman, call me, please. Yeah. That's one of those things that I do tend to do that. But even then that doesn't always work. Cause like I was working with David Finch on Wonder Woman mm-hmm. and David got taken off of Wonder Woman and was going to do Batman. And again, he specifically asked for me and the editor said no. So sometimes they're looking for a specific thing that, or they got their buddy already in the system that they want to work with or whatever. So you don't always have a choice. Fortunately, because of my level of quality and my time in the business, most people are eager to work with. (laughs) Not always. There's always those times where it doesn't click or it doesn't work. And, you know, that's what happens with art. You mentioned that something that you've had like throughout your career, you continue to have is kind of a zeal for the process. And like, you you always want to challenge yourself and find new new things to do. Do Is that a rarity in the industry? Or do you find that most of your peers are, are the same way? Not all of them. Certainly there are quite a few people I've dealt with over the literally decades in the industry that some hit big for a short time and then they basically disappeared because they weren't able to adapt and adjust or they couldn't handle the the stress. Comics is a hard career. It's really tough. And you have to have a tremendous amount of skill and you get very little compensation for it <laughs> in, in relationship to a lot of other industries. So that that's hard for some people to deal with. So some people deal with it by just going on automatic pilot and says like, okay, I'm doing enough. That's I got my paycheck. That's all I care about. And some people are like, okay, I want to kill it, but I'm only going to be in it for five or 10 years because they burn out. And then some people keep trying to get better. Like one of the guys that I've worked with a lot is Mark Bagley and when I think I first worked with Mark on the first Spider-Man Batman crossover when I was actually working on both characters from World of DC. But then I got to work with him on Thunderbolts and then Ultimate Spider-Man and Venom and Deadpool. And he's one of those guys that every time I work with him, it seems like he's getting better. Oh, that's got to be cool to see. I'm like, damn, how does he do this? Yeah, he keeps <laughs> like he's, he's putting different things. And I'm like, wow, this guy keeps just killing it all the time because he's like me. He didn't want to just coast. He didn't want to say, OK, I'm a superstar. I get to relax and just do my thing. He wants to keep getting better. And I really appreciate that. When I'm working with John Romero Jr., like I said, he and I push each other. I don't think this is a secret. So one of the main characters in our first story arc on the new Amazing Spider-Man is Tombstone. Okay. And I never really 
had any major storylines with Tombstone in my earlier runs on the on Spider-Man. So I always thought of him as kind of a B character, but the way we're writing him, it's just, he's totally an A-list character, okay? okay? He's he's like a real really heavy duty bad guy in this arc. But the way John has been portraying him, he's doing all this like wonderful rendering on the faces and just this really cool emotions and attitudes. And I'm like, John, this, the rendering you're doing, the shading on the faces, especially on Tombstone, it's just gorgeous. And I'm like, it's more work, but keep doing it because it, <laughs> it just looks so good. And so he gets that encouragement from me. So he keeps putting in the more work. So he gives me more stuff and I try to push even further. It's just this building process that when you're working together, it just keeps getting better and better and better. That's, that's really cool. That's got to be great to have somebody that's like a like mind and that you guys can build off of each other. It's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Whenever you get a bond like that, a, a partnership like that, it's just, it, it makes it really a joy to do the job. doesn't matter if you're putting in 12, 14 hour days, it's still fun 14 hour days, which is right. weird to say, but it is. So, so you did mention about doing DC prior to Marvel. You mind going into that a little bit? I, I actually, I think it was the same day or the same week. I went to Marvel and DC to show them my samples of the work I had done for Eternity and look for a job. At that time, I had already decided I was going to become an inker instead of a penciler. I, at Eternity, I'd done penciling and inking. I decided, oh, I'm a little bit faster at doing inking. It's very easy for me. It still uses all my drawing skills. So I'm going to go to Marvel and DC as an inker. So even though I brought them samples, both companies had a policy back then of they wanted to see what you looked like over their guys, their professional artists that were working for them. So DC gave me samples, uh, including like Mike McDolo was working on Cosmic Odyssey and a whole bunch of different artists at DC. And at Marvel, they gave me a whole bunch of guys like they gave me, I think, John Buscema. They gave me Alan Davis and they gave me this other guy named John Romita Jr. And the John Romita Jr. page was like this really quiet scene from one of his early run on Spider-Man, obviously before I was even in the business. And it was just like Peter Parker, Mary, now Aunt May in Queens, like street scene, in, indoor kitchen scene. And I did all the work for both companies, but the only guy I didn't get was John Romita Jr.'s page. I inked it. I'm like, I'm not happy with this. I just don't get his style. I actually, it's weird because I looked at it recently and like, I did a pretty good job, but at the time <laughs> I wasn't happy with it. And so because of that one page, just because of the John Romero Jr. page, I didn't go to Marvel first. I brought my stuff to DC. They immediately gave me work and I'm like, cool, great, no problem. And actually DC was so happy with me. They very quickly gave me an exclusive contract, which basically forbade me from working at the competition. Okay. So I didn't end up going back to Marvel for like five years later. I think I got my first job doing a Wolverine issue during a gap in my contract. Then they weren't keeping me busy enough. So I, I think I re-upped another contract. But then finally, I got back to Marvel working on Spider-Man with Tom Lyle, who's the same artist that got me onto Batman, actually. So Tom Lyle, who unfortunately is no longer with us, he kind of begged to get me on Batman. He begged to get me on Spider-Man. And both times I ended up being on the characters longer than he was. 
So I worked on Spider-Man for a while. Then after Tom had left the book, I switched over to Cable and I started getting all these calls from editors and was like, hey, Scott, can you help us out with this John Romita Jr. artwork? And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> I really, I, I still had that memory of screwing up the page, at least in my mind, you know, many years earlier. And I was like, I didn't think I could ink John. And part of it was that John's stuff Xeroxes very horribly because he he has a, a very unique penciling style. He uses a lot of side of the pencil. And nowadays with scanning, you can get a pretty good representation. But back then from a Xerox, it was really hard to read his stuff. But anyway, so for about a year, they kept like calling me up and say, hey, could you help out on this issue? And I kept saying no. I was like, oh, I'm too busy. Probably could have fit it in, but I just said no, because I, I, I really didn't think I could handle his style. And then finally, I get a call from Marvel saying, it's like, Scott, we want you on Spider-Man over John Romita Jr. full time. You're going to be the regular anchor. I'm like, I've never inked John Romita Jr. <laughs> before. <laughs> okay. So... Now, this is actually a, another statement of how cool John is that a lot of pencilers of his stature, especially back then, would say, like, oh, if I'm working with a new inker, I want that inker to do samples over me and I'll prove it. John never asked for that. They were just like, Scott, you're working over John. I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. So I said, I wanted to do a sample. I said, I, I literally need to do a sample over his real pencils. Cause this sounds trite. When I'm working with the real pencils, I get like the soul of the other art part, all the sensitivity of line and the, the underdrawing that's possibly there or not or whatever. But I, I read a lot better into the art if I get the real art, not just a copy of the art. So turns out they ended up giving me a cover of Spider-Man, but I did the cover. I actually kind of nailed it. I like I'm a mature enough inker that I now understood what I was doing and I could bring my skill to the party. I wasn't just trying to trace over him or I was trying to get into it. But then the second thing was that John has worked with some of the best inkers in the industry over the decade, obviously, because he's John. He's a Ramita, you know, he's uh, and he's done so much stuff. But my favorite inker over John Ramita Jr. was Al Williamson. I loved what he did on Daredevil and Al happened to be inking John on Spider-Man before I got the book. So I'm like, great. I'm going to be working with this guy I've never worked with before. I don't know if I can handle it. And I got to follow my favorite inker like of all time, you know? <laughs> so that was a really tough challenge, but obviously it worked because I ended up working with John Romita Jr. on I think we worked on several Spider-Man books. We started with like Adjectiveless Spider-Man, went to Peter Parker Spider-Man, then ended up on Amazing Spider-Man. But we literally did like Spider-Man for 10 years straight without a break. I think John may have skipped one or two months, and I don't think I skipped any in that amount of time. You know, obviously we started sneaking up, but even over that 10-year period, we both changed styles a little bit. We adapted to each other and, and stuff. So it was really cool. But And now I'm working with him again. So it's really cool. Yeah, it's awesome. That is cool, man. Yeah, you did mention contracts. How, how does the contracts typically work for like DC and Marvel? Is it for like a a, a book run or for X amount of issues? Well, when I started out at DC, it was my big break was getting onto Detective Comics. So I actually had an exclusive contract on Detective. Primarily, basically, it said, okay, we want you on, say, 10 issues a year. 
And weirdly enough, like for me, it was, I think it was quite unusual at the time. Normally, inkers don't have the same level of power that pencilers do or writers do because we're further down the chain. But because I had an exclusive contract on Detective, I actually got, if a penciler didn't want to work with me, they didn't get the job because I was on the book. So the sometimes if a penciler didn't want to work with me and they really wanted to get this artist for like one issue or something, they'd say, Scott, Scott, sorry to do this, but you know, can you work on like Batman instead of Detective for two months? We'll give you two issues of Batman to skip one issue of Detective. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll handle that or whatever you really don't want to work with somebody who doesn't want to work with you. But I was literally the house Batman guy. I owned like the Bat books for several years. I think I had like a five-year run on Detective specifically, but over that time, I worked on every Bat book. I worked on, you know, Robin, Catwoman, uh, Shadow of the Bat, Detective Comics, Legends of the Dark Knight, Batman. I worked on, I was the Bat inker for DC for a long time. But I ended up, I've had also exclusives at Marvel. And one of the good things about exclusives is that they give you benefits that freelance artwork doesn't get. Like most people don't realize that freelancers don't get health insurance. They don't get (laughs) vacation pay. They don't get any of that stuff. If you get an exclusive, essentially it's like becoming an employee of the company. So you do get health benefits and you do get some vacation pay and stuff like that. So for a freelancer, that's the best thing you can get because it's like, wow, I got benefits. This is so cool. You know, (laughs) it's like, wow, where'd this come from? I didn't realize this existed. But later on, actually, in my career, When I started working for both Marvel and DC at the same time, I realized it's like, wow, there's some benefits you get by not having an exclusive and to be able to say yes to anything that comes in. Because if one of my favorite pencilers or writers asks for me at DC and I'm exclusive to Marvel, I have to say no. But if I'm working for both companies, I'm a freelancer. If I get a call from DC and I'm working mostly for Marvel, I can say, oh, yeah, I can fit that in. I'll do that, too. And a lot of that's because I'm so prolific. I just work my butt off all the time. Most people are happy to do like one issue a month. You know, some really good people do two issues a month. I, for a lot of my career, I was averaging about four issues a month. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. That's crazy. So, so you're like, you're like double the speed of, uh, of the good people, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> and that, and, and now that I would put in 12 hour days, seven days yeah. a week frequently. <laughs> but again, I love what I do. And I'm like, Hey, I, I got this scam going. They pay me to draw comic books. It's so cool. You know? <laughs> so, and you did mention the the exclusive. Is that only pertaining to like inking? Like, would you be able to do coloring for Marvel and inking for DC? Or was it just art in general that you were exclusive to? Yeah, generally, I, I think my... My contracts usually specified inking, but I never tested out the boundaries <laughs> of it, to tell you the truth. I'm not known as a penciler, but I've actually done a bit of penciling for Marvel and DC over the years. But yeah, every time I was under exclusive, I just said, no, I'm only working for DC or I'm only working for Marvel. And like, would that still also just pertain to art though? Like if you were able to like write for like DC and do like inking for Marvel? Probably I could get away with it. But again, I didn't want to test boundaries. Yeah. But like both times when I was exclusive, I did penciling and inking, even though my contract was primarily for inking. So mm-hmm. they allowed me to do penciling at DC or they allowed me to do penciling at Marvel. It didn't okay. restrict them from hiring me for other positions. And even though I actually am a painter, I've never done coloring for comics per se. Oh, really? I've, I've done some painted covers that have been published for graphic mm-hmm. novels and, and comic books, but I've actually never done 
comic book coloring. It's just not my thing. Uh, for someone who doesn't know know much about how comics are done, like wh- wh- why is it set up in, into into different stages into penciling, inking, and coloring? This primarily goes back to before we invented graphic novels, that comics pretty much had to come out every month. Mm-hmm. So one issue a month was the standard fare. And I think when I started at DC and Marvel, the, the normal issue was about 22 pages of interior art and a cover that we had to do every month. And like when I started out in comics working for Eternity, I was hired to pencil and ink my own comic book but it was coming out in a month. And I realized really quickly that penciling and inking a book in a month is a lot of work. It's really a lot of work. Now it pays better than just penciling or just inking, but it's more than double the amount. Technology has made it much easier. So Mm -hmm. digitally, it's much easier to pencil and ink now than it used to be. But back then it was very time consuming and there are also different areas of expertise. So just because you can pencil doesn't mean that you can ink. Just because you can ink doesn't mean you can color. Like I'm one of those weird ones that I can actually do all three. And that's actually kind of why I chose the middle version because I can communicate with my colorists and give them guidance of what I'm looking for. I can also know how to fix pencilers or talk to my pencilers. A lot of times I've known bet, you know, I know better anatomy than my pencilers do. And it's my job to fix it, but still fix it in their style, kind of to make it look like they did it all. But anyway, so the comic book companies basically stole from animation and said, hey, if we want a high quality product, but to come out faster, we got to do an assembly line. We actually have to have different people doing different parts. And if we do that, we can actually come up with really A grade quality, but condense the time. So that when a penciler may take a month to pencil a project, an inker may take a month to ink a project. When the inker is working on the inks, the penciler is now working on a different issue. Or even if you collapse that, half of an issue is already being inked while the second half is still being penciled. So by the time you're done with the coloring, it's only in a month and a half or two months, you get everything done, including the writing and stuff like that. So it's just a way to keep the quality level up and the productivity of the books coming out on time. Nowadays, because a lot more comics are aimed at the graphic novel market, they're like, okay, if we just do six issues that can be compiled into a graphic novel, then we don't need you for the other six issues of the year. So we'll hire another art team to do those six issues. So it's much more common now. So if you gave me, say, a year to do six issues, I'm like, oh, I can pencil and ink it myself. What do I need a partner for? Now, if I was penciling and inking six issues in six months, I'm like, nope, that's too much. (laughs) But (laughs) but if you give me more time, it's not a, a hassle. So nowadays, many more artists are being given much more extended deadlines, and they're much more capable of doing all of the work themselves, even to the point where some people are coloring their own work, you know. Also, with the digital tools, like traditional inking, which is what I still do, is very, very specialized. So to be able to master a brush and a quill pen to do what you want it to do and make it look sharp and clean and precise and gorgeous can take decades of learning or at least certainly years of learning the tools to get good enough on it to get published. Whereas a lot of people will now do digital inking and they're like, oh, wow, I learned it in a week. And because the computer can erase 
in traditional inking, you can't go backwards. You get like literally every line has to be accurate and right. You can't screw up. Yeah, you can use whiteout or something, but my philosophy has always been like, no, I don't want to mar the original because I also sell my original artwork. So who wants to buy a piece of original artwork with whiteout all over it, paste ups or whatever. So basically I tried to make every line perfect. Whereas digitally you're like, oh, I screwed up. I'll just go backward a few steps or I'll erase this or Basically, there's very little difference between inking and penciling in the computer. It's just data that can be adjusted. Do you use any, are there any digital tools that you use at all? Yeah, I actually do have a Cintiq tablet. I actually frequently use it for teaching because okay, uh, okay. I actually am a teacher as well. Cool. And when COVID hit, normally I prefer teaching art in person because that, you know, an easier way to relate to other artists. But I was like, okay, COVID hit, nobody can come to my studio to learn anymore. So I had to start teaching online. So I found it a lot easier to just teach on my Cintiq. So I'll do my drawing or inking or painting techniques on the computer. And so because of that, I still don't prefer to do inking on the computer, but I will do a lot of sketching on the computer. So I'll actually do like lay out my design of a page or my concepts on the computer, very quick sketches, again, because it's really easy to erase and move stuff and adjust things. If, if you do a head a little bit too big, you can shrink it down or whatever. And then I'll take that, I'll print it out and then do all the rest of the artwork traditional. Okay. So I'll, then I'll ink it or paint it after I may do the layout. Uh, so I don't usually do like tight pencils, but I do rough pencils in the computer. And then another thing I use the computer for is because so many editors are used to high technology that they're like, oh, every artist is digital now. It's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> but <laughs> because of digital uh, computers, every editor says like, they're much more willing to ask you for changes now than they used to be. It used to be <laughs> in traditional times, it's like, hey, it's done. It's done. We can't make changes. We got to hit printing and stuff. You yeah. know, uh, We used to also have to ship the original pages to Marvel or DC. So they weren't going to ship them back to us to get corrections made or whatever. Nowadays, they're like, oh, man, Literally, I just did a Spider-Man cover and they were like, oh, we changed one aspect of the costume for this cover and the way you shaded it doesn't make sense with the new design. So can you redo that part of the mask? And normally, if I was doing that traditionally, that would be a pain in the butt. I would have to white it out. I would have to, you know, do all this weird stuff with it. But I'm like, no, I'll just transfer that over to my Cintiq because it was already a digital file. I do the cleanups in the inking on the computer, all done in five minutes. Mm -hmm. So I, I frequently use the computer as my corrections tool, as my touch-up tool. That's cool. So you, you still get like kind of the magic of the original way to do it, but then but then you right. you're able to you're able to make uh, changes really quickly. I like traditional inking because sometimes computer inking and even computer art in general can look too mechanical, can look yeah. too perfect, it can look too smooth, too neat. And like when I'm working with John Romeo Jr., I want it to match the grittiness of his style, the roughness of, of his technique. So if one line doesn't perfectly match another line, or if I go out of the panel border a little bit, I'm like, you know what? That actually makes it look human. That actually makes it look like it's hand-drawn, which I want that effect. Fact. Then on top of that, I get to sell my original art, you know, which is a nice bonus. So the actual like comic book structure, uh, I know you, you you mentioned you typically work on a handful of issues. What, what part of the stage are you brought in on? Like part of like when they're doing the story development or is it like kind of after all that you get pages to work on? 
when I first started working on Batman, it was actually some of my most fun times in comics because at that point, like I said, I was the Batman guy for DC, right? Mm-hmm. I literally did. I think I did more Bat books in five years than anybody else they had working for them. So at that time, we actually used to have Bat Summits every year where they would get a bunch of the artists and the writers and the editors all together to hash out a year of plans. And because I was the core Batman guy, I was invited to these things. So I could throw out an idea for the writers just as well as anybody else could. So I had a lot of back and forth from the very get-go of the creation of planning for the whole year. So that was phenomenal. But unfortunately, I've never had that since. (laughs) So nowadays, basically, the writing is done without any input from me whatsoever. However, I always insist that I need to read the script. So whenever I'm working on a project, I really, really want to read the script as well as get the pencils from the penciler. I want to see what the penciler's guidance was. Now, some guys like John Romita Jr. is great because he also writes little notes on the side of panels for me. can be just a couple words or sometimes a sentence or whatever, but he'll actually add little notes because he sometimes strays, you know, he does his own variation of the script a little bit or just to make an impact. And if I have have a problem, I'll just give him a call or email him and say, hey, I can't tell what's going on here, what's, you know, whatever. But by reading the script, I get to know, again, in inking, which is what my normal thing is, that just one little tweak of a line can make a difference between a smile and a stern expression. One of the times when I was working on Ultimate Spider-Man with Mark Bagley, it was after the death of Gwen Stacy in the Ultimate Universe. And Mary Jane was talking to, I think, Flash Thompson And Flash Thompson had been like ragging on Gwen Stacy, the dead girl, right? And Mary Jane basically calls him as a, wait a second, you're actually picking on her because you actually really liked her. And the way Mark had drawn it is he kind of has a smile like, you know, I figured it out. I nailed it. You really liked her. But in the script, it specifically said she wasn't sure. The script said, okay, she thought she got it, but she wasn't sure. So just because that one line of wasn't sure in there, I was like, you know what? Turning up both sides of the mouth is a little too much. So what I did was I actually just kept one side of the mouth straight and the other side tweaked up a little bit. So it was a half smile. And then I forgot about it. I was like, okay. So I sent it in. And then like, I forget how much later Mark Bagley actually saw the pages and he called me up and it's like, Scott, what did you do to this page, <laughs> right? And I'm like, oh, darn, I forgot to double check it with Mark or anything. And I had just done it. And he said, it's great. I love what you did. That's <laughs> like, you just nailed it. That worked so perfectly. But I could only do that because I read the script. Literally something as basic as, is it nighttime or daytime? If that's not clear in the pencils, you know, a pencil might leave the sky just white because they'll say, oh, the colors is going to put starry night in there. If I don't know that, I'm not going to put harsh enough shadows, you know, dark enough shadows in the landscape, in the buildings, in the figures, whatever. So if I know it's nighttime, that's going to make make sure I make it look a different way. The same thing with daytime. You're not going to do the really hard black shadows. You're going to keep it more open. Yeah, so scripts are very, very helpful. 
And do you feel like uh, other anchors do that as well? They, they read the scripts or do they? <laughs> um, I've, I've heard from many pencilers that many anchors do not read the scripts. So <laughs> I don't necessarily have this as a topic of discussion with my anchor friends, but from what I've heard from a lot of the pencilers I've worked with, I'm kind of the anomaly. I'm one of the weird ones that actually does like to read the script. And you actually seem like, like a really big comic book fan. Like you, you seem like you live and breathe comics. Do you also find other people in the industry have like that same enthusiasm? for comics or are they just there for just doing the art and kind of moving on? I really don't think anybody is odd enough to work in the comic industry without being a fan. (laughs) So so it's like, wait, I'm just going to do this for the paycheck. It's like, no, no, that's not why we get into comics. You wouldn't be in comics at that point. Yeah. Yeah. You get into comics because you love comics. That's That's the bottom line for every single creator I've ever met even ones that just want to dabble in it or whatever. You know, I've worked with some guys who've, you know, they're professional writers doing books and TV and movies. And like, I want to do comics because it's fun. I get to be creative and do, you know, I lo- always love Spider-Man. I want to write Spider-Man. You literally don't do this unless you've got a love for the medium, for the characters, that type of thing. That's got to come first. I, I think you, you'd almost be insane to do this without that because <laughs> it's not a typical job. Yeah. You mentioned that you're always that you're excited about challenges and growing and like pushing yourself. So do you find it harder and harder as you go forward to find things that are challenging? No, because every literally every time a writer sends you a script, you got new things to figure out, new characters to do, new atmospheres to create. Again, okay, I'll go back to working with Bendis on Ultimate Spider-Man. Bendis would actually have this kind of rote thing in his script that every time it was we're going to a a cut to the Daily Bugle, Bendis would just cut and paste this really big, long paragraph of the Daily Bugle newsroom. It's like, oh, bustling reporters, deaths all over the place and all this stuff. And Mark and I would have to figure out a way to draw it in a different way. That So Bendis could keep, use the exact same description. Now, we can't just cut and paste a uh, panel from the previous issue and plop it in there because there might be different characters in the, talking in front of the camera or might be a different time of day. Where Bendis could just put the same description. We could not ever do the same art. That's part of the challenge is like, how many ways can I draw Spider-Man and not do the same 500 Spider-Mans I've done before. What's a new way to do Spider-Man? How can we do it in a slightly different take? And that's a lot harder than it seemed to keep doing the same things over and over, but keep doing it differently over and over from the times before. And that's another reason why I don't like to rely on computers because a lot of computer artists get lazy and they're like, oh, I'll just like cut and paste this head and blow it up or flop it. It's like, no. And now I'm a trained artist, but I can always tell. But I know a lot of non-trained artists are like, oh man, that's just a, an image from the previous you know, five pages ago, he just used the same shot again. He just made it smaller. It's like, you can tell. If the fans can tell, you're being a lazy artist. So (laughs) I think, you know, you want to give the fans their money's worth. You know, you want to make it worthwhile. But yeah, so for me, pretty much everything is a challenge. Just doing it differently is a challenge uh, instead of just doing it the same old, same old. So, I mean, it's, it's, it sounds, it sounds like you push yourself into the challenge as well. Cause you could just do it. Could be lazy. Others are, yeah. You could, you could be lazy. You could be lazy. You could, you could do the tried and true, but you find a way to like continue to push your creativity each time. A lot of people say I have much more enthusiasm than most people who've been in the industry as long as I have. <laughs> but again, I, I, I'm so happy with what I do. I still love it. And the thing with art is that all of the drive has to come internally. It can't come from outside of you. So I want to have that drive forever. I want to keep going with that and keep getting better and better and better. 
recently because when COVID hit, it was literally the first time in my entire career that I was actually out of work for a couple of months because I was working for Marvel and DC, had projects at both companies, and they shut down the distributors, they shut down the comic book stores, and Marvel and DC canceled a lot of their books for at least a temporary basis. And literally in 30 years, I had never been out of work for like even a day. I'm that prolific. So I'm like, ah, what am I going to do? Luckily, I started doing at-home commissions, which again, I've never done before because I'm always too busy. But because of COVID, I started doing at-home commissions and my art dealer, my agent started telling people, it's like, look, you really want to get some Scott Hanna paintings because everybody knows of me as an inker. Most of the people who come see me at conventions know I'm a penciler as well as an inker. But my dealer actually knew that I'm a painter as well. So he said, look, guys, you really, really want to get Scott's paintings. So he started promoting that and the fans started asking for it. And I was like, wow, I'm having so much fun getting back into painting again. Because I actually use it for my classes when I teach. I have a lot of painting students, but I wasn't doing it a lot on superheroes. And I started doing it on superheroes. I'm like, wow, this is a blast. This is really fun. I'm enjoying myself with this stuff. And that's another challenge. So it's like, okay, take my painting skills, apply it to what I normally do with my superheroes and whatnot. And now I've had some of my paintings have been comic book covers. You know, they've been, I, I get them at conventions all the time, but yeah, I do lots of commissions. But that wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for COVID. And it also, because I like challenges, I'm like, sure, I'm going to do more painting. I love, you know, it's, <laughs> actually painting is my fun thing. My professional job is inker. My painting job is more like fun. Yeah. So, not that inking isn't fun too. Do you generally paint scenes from comics as well? Mostly when I'm doing paintings, I do pretty much commissions. So I will do full, I, I will do full scenes. I, like I said, I've done uh, several printed covers where I do, you know, elaborate backgrounds and figures and stuff like that. Because my mother is a portrait painter, I actually learned to do portraits. So I've actually, one of my favorite guys to do is like the Joker because he's got that face and stuff. Yeah. Actually, on my latest commissions, people discovered that I really like doing the bad guys. I'm known for doing the good guys like Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, Spider-Man, the Avengers, but people started giving me like lists of monsters and, and other characters and like, yeah, now I get to really have fun because uh, <laughs> you, you can put your mark on it. So like, I actually love doing dragons because dragons aren't own. They're my dragons. I can put my own personality into it. And I love anatomy of animals as well as humans. So I like put all this stuff together. And so I just do these really cool, creative, fun things. You mentioned uh, during uh, COVID, they, they kind of shut down shop and all that. And like, we've always heard like the comic industry is dying. Like it's slowly like fading away. People read less and less comics, especially with more movies coming out and all that from a a purely a a fan and someone that like really relies on the industry for your income. How's that kind of affected you? Have you looked to like start doing other stuff besides comics? Yes, actually, because, you know, for most of my career, I was literally doing like three or four books a month for Marvel and DC. Now I'm actually not doing that quantity. Like currently I'm actually doing one book for Marvel and one book for DC, occasional like guest shots. That's not the same full-time month-long schedule that three or four books is. So it actually started before COVID hit, you know, things were changing and adapting. And like I said, also inkers aren't as required anymore because more people with extended deadlines are doing more penciling and the inking. So that throws out the job of the inker for a mm-hmm. big category of people. And so 
one of the things that I started doing was I actually started teaching. So now teaching is still kind of my hobby, but I actually really enjoy teaching. I love passing on the knowledge to the next generations. I found out I'm a very good teacher. My student, I've actually had a lot of students that have gone on to art school to become professionals, all kinds of stuff like that, which is really rewarding. And I never had kids. So that's my way of being like, you know, a father figure or an uncle forever and stuff. Uh, so teaching is one of my sidelines and then getting more known as a painter and a commission artist. So when people are, you know, wanting to work with me, they're not just saying it's like, yeah, I still get a lot of requests of ink over John Romeo Jr. or Mark Bagley, but the majority of my requests are, Scott, do your thing. It becomes all me. And that's what I'm really enjoying. And then there's also the convention circuit. Now mm-hmm. now that COVID's over, yeah. people are like, I want to get out and see other people, you know, <laughs> especially like-minded people and stuff. Because I think we really, as as human beings, we need that social interaction. And the internet is great, but it's not the same thing as getting together with a bunch of other people who share your loves and interests. And actually, because of working on Amazing Spider-Man and actually my new DC book, Duo, both are starting with number one issues. I'm doing, I think, something like 14 shows this year. That's going to get me out of the house a lot. And (laughs) I used to not do very many shows because I was drawing four books a month. That doesn't give you a lot (laughs) of time for conventions. But if I'm doing 14 conventions, that means I can survive on one or two books a month and be doing more commissions and conventions and teaching. And that all those things together keep me fully occupied. When you're teaching, what's the biggest challenge that like new artists have to get over in, in your estimation, like, like that you've seen and when you've been teaching? I try to teach the basic fundamentals of drawing and painting, not style. Like a lot of people are like, Scott, you wait, you did that book and that book and that book and they look totally different. But I'm a common denominator because I know how to draw so well, I can actually change my style at will. So I don't just do one style of inking. I do five styles of inking depending on who I'm teamed up with. So I found that, at least in my career, it's very useful to just learn the fundamentals of good art because I have many students who come up to me and it's like, I want to draw manga. And I'm like, okay, you can get to manga once you learn how to draw first. Then we'll do manga on top of knowing how to draw well. And because they don't realize that real manga artists can draw really, really well. They know anatomy, they know lighting, they know how to do environments. They're really solid artists. They just are known for doing these big eyes, right? (laughs) But the big eyes is a surface thing. It's not the drawing. So if people just learn a style, I actually have to break them of their bad habits and reteach them their good habits before they can go back into it putting a style on top. Great advice. Who's uh, who's your favorite villain to work with? Probably the Joker. A lot of people ask me who's the hardest character to draw. And I always say the Joker because he's so complex. He's happy and he's a maniac. You know, he's smiling and a clown, but he's mean and cruel. He doesn't have a mask. So you have to get all of his facial expressions really down. One of the hardest things to do is draw the Joker frowning, which we've had to do. He's He doesn't have a mask, but he's distorted. You know, he's got a chin longer than anybody else's chin. He also, I think he's hard to capture because there's some really, really artists that I love their art, but then I look at their Joker and I'm like, They just didn't get, uh, I won't name any names, but there's some artists that I just don't think they handle that character. Well, they didn't get that character. So to me, he's one of the hardest ones to do, but he's fun because he's hard to do. If you could choose any character to like reboot either as like a series or just kind of bring back into the spotlight, 
Which uh, which character would that be? I've always been a sucker for Hawkman. Okay. And he's occasionally been done well, but usually not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so I would love for somebody to do it right. Actually, when I think when Jeff Johns and Rags Morales was doing it, were doing it, that was actually an excellent version of Hawkman. But since then, he kind of just went into anonymity. I I, th- I always thought Aquaman could never be done right, but then they actually did Aqu- Aquaman right. Uh, that turned out very nicely. I actually love anytime they take obscure characters and say, hey, nobody's done anything with this character. How can we do it well? And I, I always recommend to want to be writers, I say, pick the most obscure character you can find, tell a good story with that character, and that will make you as a writer. So any character can be done well. You just have to get the right story, the right concept. I love when I get opportunities to work with unusual characters that have been done well before and see if we can get it right. It doesn't always work, but we, we always give it a shot. Do you have a dream series that you haven't gotten to work on yet that you'd like to work on? Um, for Marvel and DC, no. I actually, um, I've always been a fan of Hellboy, never had a chance to work on any Hellboy yet. I've been a fan of Todd McFarlane for years, never got a chance to work on Spawn yet. Not that I can't, I just have been fully occupied by Marvel and DC for most of my career. So I've never really broadened my scope. As long as Marvel and DC are keeping me busy, I don't really need to go call up Image and say, hey, I want to work for, you know, work on a Spawn. I'm sure if I actually did that, they would probably say, hey, we'd like to give you a shot at something. But it hasn't happened yet. So we'll say, but I, I always say there's, if it's meant to be, it will eventually happen. That's my philosophy. Absolutely. We usually ask one last question for our guests. Any words of wisdom for an aspiring artist that you wish you would have got when you first started out? One of the old pros that uh, I talked to when I first got into the business basically said, treat it like a job. Don't just goof off and say, oh, I'll do this as my weekend hobby thing. If you want to become a professional at this, you have to be willing to put in the man hours. So that means literally in most forms of illustration, a 40-hour work week doesn't cut it. You're going to be working 60-hour work weeks or 80-hour work weeks or sometimes 100-hour work weeks. Now, it doesn't mean it's, it's constantly that, but that will happen. And it's a lot harder than people think to be able to concentrate and focus at a drawing table or a writing table for that extended period of time. But it's good to test yourself. It's good to say, hey, I'm going to take a week off and do nothing but art and see if I can handle that. If you can handle that, then you can possibly turn it into a profession. That's, that's interesting to think of it like that. Scott, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you tonight. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. It was, it was great. It was enlightening. Excellent. Where, where can our listeners find more of your work and possibly get some commissions and, and purchase some of your awesome artwork? <laughs> I'm on Facebook as Scott Hanna. I'm on Instagram as Inker Scott. Actually, most of my commissions, when I, I put up my commission list, I'm actually now doing through Clan McDonald's Comics and Signature Witnessing on Facebook. Normally on Facebook or Instagram, I'll also put up a notice when I open my commission list. I have an art dealer. The artist choice is where to buy my original artwork. I, I know there's a lot of quests already for Amazing Spider-Man pages even though the book's not coming out till April, <laughs> people are like, wait, when's it for sale? And literally, we won't put up any Amazing Spider-Man pages for sale until after the books are published. So are you auctioning them off or is it first come, first serve? It's it's first come, first serve, okay. basically. So we set a price and actually we, we some things like there is currently a bidding war for the cover of Amazing Spider-Man number one, but there's also John and I are both very reticent of selling all of our pages. So we're like, 
I want to keep some, you know, <laughs> there's high demand from the fans and there's high restraint from the creators. So it's like, Hey, we want to hold on to some of these things. So there's this tug of war going on right now. So hopefully there will be pages available pretty soon for uh, Spider-Man. And also uh, I mentioned I've got my new book called Duo out at DC Comics. I believe the first issue of that has been in May. And that's actually kind of part of the Milestone universe. And it's brand new characters. It's such a pleasure to work on characters that we're starting from literally the ground up. We're creating brand new characters, new stories, new villains, Koi Fam is the penciler I'm working with on that. We're doing some really amazing stuff. That's a real pleasure to work on. Right now, it's just a, a six-issue story arc. We'll see where it goes. If it sells well, it will continue, uh, which I'm really hoping it'll happen. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Scott, we really appreciate talking to you tonight, man. Yeah, it was great. It's great meeting you. Yep, you bet. Thanks a lot. That was awesome. I could have talked to him for a lot longer. That was really cool. Mm-hmm. So a lot, a lot of gems in there, man. A lot of gems. Yeah, very. Uh, I think he's the second comic book artist we, we've talked to. So we haven't talked to a lot of them. And, and like, there's like, like you said, like I, I could probably keep asking him questions. Yeah. And all like, I'm, like the industry itself is is really fascinating. Like the the art and and, and all that's like really fascinating as well. There's it's like multi leveled. Like I would love to, from like the storyboard perspective of like, because we didn't get into like how they communicate right. between the, the penciler with the inker the inker to the colorist and like that whole like uh, chain of custody between like passing around artwork and like getting it back and doing revisions uh, i feel like that that's pretty pretty unique uh, as well the the thing that i found really interesting it's 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 uh, it's it's really cool to talk to somebody who's um who's like who's kind of purely passionate and, and dedicated and loves loves the craft and like the, the thing he talked about that that like internal motivation to push yourself creatively and always always be looking for something Challenge. like the, the the thought of having that motivation uh, internally is is that's that's really powerful you know because like like so so many people kind of rely on their environment to become successful you know and like that's that's not always uh, that's not always available like like when, when you have that internal drive that's like there's nothing stopping you yeah and, and like and the thing like 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 I remember asking like very early in the episode like would you ever like get to the point where you get tired of doing comics and like the fact that he said no is it it's just Awesome, because like, yeah. like you said, like the people do get burnt out. Like you only see people in the industry for, for X amount of years or for like X amount of runs, and then they just like, yeah, this is really hard because like you didn't really go into it, like overly, but like comic book artists or like they were like like some of the lowest paid artists. The same thing happens with animators though too. I've heard right. Like, yeah, we've yeah. heard that. Well, animators they outsource the third world countries and, and shit yeah. like that well like um, even even before that i think oh yeah no they were yeah like my, mike Deesa was talking about that like when he first started before where they had digital stuff and now now it's a little bit better with like digital and be able to like transfer stuff digitally uh you'd have to like ship like stuff over and like like stuff like that you'll like like mailing stuff out and so like it, it's not nearly as demanding but back like years ago it was like you had like all right just constantly push more like more stuff out and, like the fact that he was doing four issues like four issues is a lot like it's, it's like 20 i think it's like 20 yeah. to 23 pages per issue and so like there's a lot of art on a page of uh, on my comic book page that he would have to ink and so know this but like uh like comic book pages are like yay big the art he works on are like full size like oh i did not know that yeah they're not they're not tiny they actually shrink it down we, we saw we saw in the in the camera like his um his workspace yeah. back there so yeah so i, I so i, I so that they're that that large that and sense. they they used to be even larger and all like 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 years ago they, they used to be like the size of tables like this massive fucking pieces of art <laughs> and all like like the old like comic book cards like really insanely large and also like like you look at our comic like oh this looks tiny but like the amount of like like actual like work he has to do especially for like four issues is insane yeah you, you know you know like the low compensation also like i, I feel like that would select for for people that that really love what they're doing as well 
you know, so and that, 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 that might select for skill as well. So I'm, I'm not, you know. Yeah. So they actually, I don't, I don't remember what the industry term for this is, but it's basically like you're able to pay people a lot less that oh, people, right. like want to work in Marvel and DC because of the love. Yeah. I mean, pe- people are going to take advantage of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, like, that like, is kind like, of messed up. Like that's how it is with Scott. Like, cause he loves like Spider-Man and Batman. Like he would, if he had like realistically like, work for pennies on the dollar to work on spider-man batman i'm sure like you would just because like love of it like you like anything you love like you're willing to take like like a pay cut on it's stuff that you hate and like despise like you're obviously not gonna cut on but if it's something you really really are into same thing happens in the video game industry uh yeah yeah comic comics is really notorious for that like especially with writers and stuff like that they just get paid so little and it's it's ridiculous but the other thing that's really cool, like when, when you talked about when you have like that passion and like that drive to push yourself and, and grow and all that, and you find somebody else that you can, that has it, like that kinship that you have is, I think that's really special too. It's, it's, it's cool to see that, that happening. And it's a, it's cool to kind of witness that. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that's an interesting dynamic. I always not sure like how that normally works for the uh, pencilers. We kind of like cherry pick like their anchors and all. It makes sense. Like it would make sense that way. I wasn't sure if like they, they had like basically like the uh, the editors and like the art department people were just kind of demanding who would ink for each issue. It, it, it can be it can be really lonely too like when you are like like kind of kind of frustrating when if you have such high standards for quality and for creative look and you're really passionate about pushing yourself and like and you're working with people that don't really care that much. You know that that that, that can be disheartening too. So like I, I think it's I think it's good. It's it's a uh, it's I think it's phenomenal when you can find that. You know when you when you find people that you're in alignment with, especially on that on that, that team kind level, of, that kind of journey level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's it's like a, a team dynamic is it, fairly unique as well for like art. Because like a lot of like I mean I guess like video game art is different. Like m- most art, it, it's usually like one person, like like a painter. Like if you're doing like landscape paintings or whatever, like portrait paintings, like you're you're doing it all from start to finish. But like yeah. that, that team dynamic is kind of interesting because like you're doing your work, but then you're passing off to someone else to do more work on top of it, or like you're not even starting with your own work. You're you're kind of touching up someone else's. Like it's it's very odd and all. Like from a like I don't know if I, I could do that because like you know you know me I'm a yeah yeah a control freak yeah I know yeah yeah. <laughs> it was funny uh we was talking about like the dynamic of like like two people working together i was like oh yeah i have no idea what that's like <laughs> <laughs> of, of, what, of what when uh when he was talking about like uh, working with like pencilers and stuff like that like like having like uh that bond of like where they they, they push each other and like they they do better you have no idea what that's like yeah yeah, yeah me neither yeah the, the other thing was like can talk about the fundamentals like like a, a lot of the knowledge that he talked about is like applicable to any discipline where you're developing a skill which I, I think mm-hmm. that's really cool that's something that I, I really enjoyed about this whole podcast that we've done seeing kind of like the tools of masters you know what I mean and like that's mm-hmm. that's it's something that's been cool to see across the voice like he, he's he's at like the pinnacle of his career like he's worked on like fucking Batman for 10 years like right, right. <laughs> that, that's, that's gnarly yeah. like yeah, yeah. I grew up like reading and like even not even growing up but just like he, he's worked on shit like that have made impacts on my on my life like even at the beginning of the episode where i said like annihilation conquest it's like literally like one of my all-time uh like it got me into like like i wasn't a big marvel fan until like annihilation annihilation conquest guardians of the galaxy uh annihilators Thanos imperative all that kind of stuff like that it really got me into like marvel comics uh and it was like and he, he had a hand in that and that's yeah that's that's so cool like i don't know how to really explain it but like it's it's, it's awesome like no i, like, I, I get that so I yeah, you met you met somebody that created things that give that's given you a lot of joy, probably sometimes purpose in your life. You yeah. know, it's cool. Purpose. I don't know if purpose necessarily. Well, no, no, no. But it's, it's, it kind of gives you like like you're feeling really down. It gives you a reason to to like not run off the road on the way home. You know what I mean? 
You got You want to read another comic? Yeah, sure. Makes you want to get up in the morning. I don't know. Not, not everybody has depression. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a, a real right. <laughs> no, but it was, it was cool. Cool to, to talk to someone that that's actually like. It was the same when we talked to like Eric Falconer and all like like someone that's like literally like worked on something like put their heart and soul into something that like I I just fucking absolutely love and all like it's really it's I think that's the most powerful thing about this podcast. It's 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 just, it's, it's been oh yeah, such a us, weird yeah. fucking ride. <laughs> it's it's been um it's 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 been really cool to see people at different stages in their development that also yeah. have the same passion as well. You know. Yeah. That's, that's yeah yeah for, for sure like because like he's had that passion forever like been in the industry for so long and like it's still there like he's he's not yeah. jaded he's not burnt out like he, he wants to keep being challenged by it like that's that's so fucking cool and all find something to focus on and your life will change in ways you can't even imagine thank you all for listening if you would like to support the wwsd podcast check out our patreon at patreon.com slash wwsd underscore podcast make sure you like and subscribe on our facebook instagram and twitter So for lightning round, um, kind of answer these like based on not necessarily working for these companies, but more of like a uh, as a reader and a fan. So if you had the choice between Marvel or DC, which is your go-to? Since I was a kid, my two favorite characters were Batman and Spider-Man. <laughs> so I love them both. I've literally never been a one side or the other guy. I've actually been really happy with both sides. Also, professionally, I can't really choose <laughs> yeah. because I work for both companies. Well, who's your most favorite character to work on uh, between uh, any of the characters? I, I already named them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we had a pick, though. What's, what's your third favorite? Yeah, third, third favorite then. Third, that's, oh God, that's a toughie. Um, I don't know if I have a third favorite. Um, I I actually have a lot of characters I've enjoyed. Like I really liked uh, working on the X-Men because there's a, just a tremendous amount of diversity and cool characters in there. So probably X-Men is probably my second favorite like run of comics outside of my Spider-Man and Batman stuff.